Uh, that is from the office, if you were hiding under a rock for the last uh, t- 10 years. Um, there were a number of Christmas scenes that I could have chosen for this morning. I almost showed one from family vacation, uh, Christmas vacation rather, but um, I figured I would spare you all, even though it's one of my deep convictions that Clark Griswold should show up every Christmas season here, um, and he may yet, we don't know. But that was a, a scene about stress and anxiety. Obviously, if you didn't pick that up in there, um, there's just, it's just such a great clip there. Uh, but that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about anxiety, stress. Uh, more importantly, what we want to talk about this morning is the antidote to anxiety and to stress. We don't want to just spend all, we all know anxiety is a part of the world that we live in. We're in the middle of a series right now that we're calling Light in the Dark. One of our deep convictions is that Advent is a season, historically, where Christians have been called to anticipate the light that was coming into the world, to focus our attention on Jesus, the light that comes into the world, but also to remember how that light comes into the world, that there are ways that we can function in the world that are different because we are followers of Jesus. And that there's, there's um, influences and pieces that are part of us that actually push into darkness, that push back against the darkness. And so we've been talking about this um, because the scriptures continue to remind us over again that Jesus came into the world to bring light. It says that his light was the life of men or the light to men. And it was a kind of light that darkness can't overcome. And so that's why we believe Christmas matters because historically, you can throw that up there in the next slide, that, that when we celebrate Advent, this season of anticipation, there are four words, four postures, four heart conditions that we are given and, and invited to step into as followers of Jesus. And so, you know, we read them each, um, each Advent at the candles, but it's things like hope and peace and joy and love and how for us as a posture, we've been asking the question, not just how are we supposed to experience those, but then how do we get to be those? To be, like Jesus said, the light of the world. We get invited into that. And so what if we, as a, as a community, just started to see those things as postures, as, as, you know, like Paul says, we have weapons that are not of this world. If we saw those as weapons with which we go into the world to push back darkness to push back the different strongholds that are all around us. And so if peace is one of those things, because that's what we're talking about today, if peace is one of those those weapons, one of those postures that we have to offer the world, the question then is, what does that look like for us? What's on the other side, the darkness, that that pushes back against? And I think it's not a stretch to say that if there is a stronghold in our culture, in our world, if there's anything that we come up against as people operating in 21st century America, it would be stress, anxiety. These are the things that we wrestle with. These are the things that we deal with, and they are, they are definitely a stronghold all around us. It's interesting, I think, that this time of year in particular, Christmas season, is supposed to be one of those seasons where we just celebrate, where we're like having lots of fun, we're with family, it's this sense of peace, things are supposed to slow down a little bit, and we're supposed to really enjoy that time together. But here's what's interesting. I was looking at some statistics from uh, just around the internets this week, and here's what we found. Here's what they tell us. If you do a Google search on Christmas anxiety, as a for instance, 73.5 million results pop up in less than a second. 
73.5 million results. 40% of Americans say that they experience significant anxiety during the holidays. Right? 45%. Here's this one was, I was like, wow. 45% they would choose to just skip it. Just be done. 51% say they experience significant anxiety about giving. 69% say that they're anxious about money. Those are big numbers. I saw another TV show that was talking this week about, about how um, it's something like 45% of Americans think that uh, shopping at Christmas is more difficult than an Olympic sport. Let me say that again. 45% of Americans think shopping at Christmas is more difficult than an Olympic sport. Right? So either there's something to this or we've just gotten really soft as a culture. Right? So it, it, it's easy to poke about all that stuff. It's easy to poke holes in this idea of anxiety and stress and all that stuff. But the truth is, every one of us experiences it during the holidays. I mean, think about the things that we navigate during the holidays. Everything from financial stresses to hosting a whole bunch of people to the gifts that we have to buy to the schedules, social pressures, being in parties and doing all kinds of stuff. And that, that's before you even get to the anxiety of like, dealing with your actual family, extended family, which can be a nightmare. It can also be really fun, but oftentimes our family of origin is, is a, another whole bag that we have to unpack. Now, important qualifier here, there is a difference between feeling anxious and what they call seasonal affective disorder or, or um, generalized anxiety disorder. There, there's some deeper stuff that happens in here. But the universal thing that we all experience around Christmas time, most of us, is anxiety, feeling anxious about a whole host of things. And here's what's so interesting to me. If that is our experience at Christmas, it is exactly the opposite of what God intends. Exactly the opposite of what God intends. And how we know that is when you just read the scriptures, there's this unbelievable, unbelievable theme that develops. So we believe around here that when we follow Jesus, it is an invitation to freedom. It's an invitation to healing and wholeness. It's an invitation to the, to the biblical concept of shalom or peace. Because this is how Jesus shows up into the world. When the angels are telling people what is going to happen, the shepherds just outside of Jerusalem, they have a pronouncement that they bring. And what they say is up here, they say, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. On earth, peace. And it's not just peace like, oh, we have a light feeling. It's, it's this pronouncement. It's this powerful concept that we are invited into as followers of Jesus. Peace to men on whom his favor rests. It was much more like a blessing and a pronouncement than it was just a happy thing that Linus talks about. And so maybe for us this morning and for us as followers of Jesus, like maybe we need to take this more seriously. In a chronically anxious world, which we all live in, maybe we, as followers of Jesus, maybe this should become more of the center of who we are. We need this light, but more importantly, we need to bring this light into the world. Just like with hope, when I was reading through this, it was interesting how much of a concept or how much of a theme this is in the scriptures. 
Uh, we even talked about it before when we were doing the reading here. But when you go to the Old Testament, the Old Testament has a concept called shalom. And shalom was, was wholeness. It was peace, but it was peace on steroids. It was everything that you could possibly want, healing, wholeness. It was this concept of being everything was right in and with the world. And that was all throughout the Old Testament was this idea of shalom, that we were invited into that. And then over and over in the New Testament, God is referenced as the God of peace. Even the name Jesus is given, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace. It is central to the gospel that we experience this, that this is the invitation of the kingdom of God. And even at the end of his ministry, here's what's what's, uh, interesting is, at the end of his ministry, Jesus is sitting down with all of his disciples, and he's given him kind of the picture of what's coming. He's saying, here's what you can expect in the days ahead. He says, it's going to be a little bit of a challenge. I'm going to be killed, you know, all this stuff. And they're, they're having a really hard time with this. In fact, they're sort of freaking out about it. Peter pulls them aside and is like, what are you doing? And there's all of this tension and this stress and this anxiety and denial, and it's all mixed together. And in the midst of that, as Jesus is sitting down over that last meal with them, here's what he says to his disciples. This is John 14. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You trust in God, trust also in me. And then he says, all of this I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father is going to send in my name, he's going to teach you all these things and remind you of everything I said. And then he says, peace, peace, I leave with you. Peace, my peace, I give you. I don't give it like the world gives it. So don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. Like this is one of the stamps that Jesus says to his disciples, one of the pronouncements that he makes over them as they're about to go into an anxiety-ridden world. He says, my peace I give you. And just like shalom in the Old Testament, that, that word peace, irene is the Greek word, if you throw that up there, the, the Greek word means something so much more than just like, hey, peace, you know. It means peace, quietness, rest, wholeness. It's, it's this image of tying together something into a whole, making it whole again. One of the quotes was, the way that this leads us, the way, it is the way that leads us to salvation. It is, and here's where I thought was really interesting. This idea of peace in the Greek is unique to Christianity. It's peculiar to Christianity in that it describes this, what they call a tranquil state of the soul a tranquil state of the soul, secure in our salvation through Christ. And so fearing nothing from God and content with whatever the world throws at us, whatever is coming, that is the kind of peace that says, Jesus says, I leave with you. In fact, the Holy Spirit is going to be the one who brings this peace. He is your comforter. He is your counselor. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. See, this would have really stuck with the disciples, I think, in part because they had been with Jesus. And when you read through the life of Jesus, one of the things that you're just uh, amazed by, if we just observe, is what a non-anxious presence he was in the world. If you think about the, the kind of anxiety-ridden things and the stress that Jesus dealt with, sick people coming to him all the time, dead people, 
was around funerals and dead people all the time. The traps that all of the rulers of the day were setting for him, constantly trying to nail him and get him in trouble. All of that stuff was right present with him. Thousands of people following him. And not only following him, but then at some point, like completely rejecting the message. Most of them completely reject the message. And yet here is Jesus standing in the middle of it all with this unbelievable sense of gravity and security. It's like he had an anchor in his soul that just held him so steadfast in the midst of whatever storm was thrown at him. He was just there with God, wholly present in the moment as a non-anxious presence. And then he says to the disciples, this is what I'm giving to you. This is what I'm inviting you into. And so then the question for us becomes, as followers of Jesus, if you're here and you're following Jesus, the question for us is, if all of that's true, why don't I feel it? Why don't I experience that kind of peace, that kind of gravity in my own soul that, that is so secure and so restful that it leaves me feeling whole and content? Why don't we live in that? It's a hard question. If we're honest, if we're really honest about it, because, again, 45% of us would just rather skip this whole thing altogether. 69% are stressed about finances. We claim to trust that God has got all things under his control, and yet, again, not to beat up on us, because we're all guilty of this. I think there's a couple of reasons that, that really are important for us to get our heads around in all of this. And the first one is that we live in what sociologists are now calling, what I mentioned before, a chronically anxious society. We live in a chronically anxious society. We almost give permission to people to feel anxious. We just, yeah, oh yeah, you're right, absolutely, amen, right? Holy Spirit just showed up. This is what one author I've been reading lately uh, who I've really, really appreciated. He says it this way. He's named Edwin Friedman. He's a, he's a Jewish counselor. He says, anxiety in a society escalates as a society is overwhelmed by the quantity and the speed of change. Anyone? And when the institutions or the individuals that traditionally absorb or bind off society's anxieties, all those institutions are no longer available to absorb it. And he goes on to say that chronic anxiety, it's systemic. It, it reproduces itself, right? We live in the midst of a world right now where the speed of change is faster than it has ever been in the history of the world. In fact, it doubles every 18 months, right? It is going faster and faster and faster. And all of us are like, oh my gosh, I can't keep up with the newest app or the newest thing or the newest trend or whatever it is. And we're just going along at the speed of everything. And then second to that, we're in the midst of a culture that, that is doing what we call deconstruction. It's taking apart every institution that used to be the place where we found wholeness and respite. Think church. Think civic organizations. All of those are being rejected and pushed to the margins of society. And so what are we left with that can be the scapegoat, that can bear with that? We've, we've sort of said community is somewhat important, but really I just want to do my thing. We don't rest in relationships. And so then all of a sudden we wonder why we're feeling all this anxiety. And so he goes on to talk about this and how, how there are symptoms that come with this. Because 
truly like the whole reason that anxiety is a big deal is because we feel a loss of control. We don't know where to go and we don't know what to do with the speed of change that's all around us. And so he says that results in things that we can see and feel and touch. Just look around the world in our chronically anxious culture and here's what you'll see. Reactivity has gone through the roof. When we're anxious, we just react emotively. The reason goes out the window. We just feel, and so we emote. And our culture is kind of blessing that right now, which is weird, because those emotional reactions come in a whole bunch of different ways. And what's even more interesting is just how intense they are. Go on to Twitter. Go on to social media. But even more than that, in our own lives, there's a sense of anxiety that we react out of our anxiety because we don't have the bandwidth, we don't have the, um, the, the depth anymore, the, the space in our soul to handle challenges or whatever come our way. One of the things that they say, interestingly enough, that is a hallmark of an overly reactive and stressed out culture is that they are overly serious. They take themselves way too seriously. And so you can't really joke in an overly uh, reactive culture. Anybody following the Chappelle stuff that's been going on? I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. Comedians right now don't know what to do because they can't make jokes. And it's difficult for them to navigate how free speech and, and being um, sat- satirical about the culture that they live in is being rejected now because we're all taking ourselves so dang seriously that we can't have any fun. We don't experience any peace. So reactivity is one of those. Hurting, this one's another big one that goes on all the time. Uh, Hurting is really this idea that that we silo up with those that we agree with because it's too stressful to be around people that we don't agree with. And so then we've just become in these clusters and we sort of self-enforce this idea of togetherness about the ideas that we hold central to what we think is really true. And so then the world chronically then becomes more black and white. You're either in or you're out. You're with us or you're against us. There's no room for gray. There's no room for conversation and argument. Why? Because we've siloed up into our places. Anxiety has driven us in to the silence. And then we just try to keep the peace, right? So this is how this plays out at holidays is you've got crazy Uncle Steve that comes and he's wildly unhealthy and everybody knows it. He may be making crude jokes. He may be doing like whatever he's doing or he's taking you to task because you say something totally innocuous, but he's running the show because everybody else is too afraid to confront Uncle Steve and be like, Uncle Steve, you're being a dork, you know? And so we, what they call, um, we accommodate unhealthy behaviors because we don't want to say anything. We don't want to rock the boat. We want to keep everything together. So we just keep going until it all goes away, or we think it all goes away. We don't have to deal with it anymore. Accommodation is a symptom, is a symptom of an overly anxious or chronically anxious culture. We, we evolve to weakness instead of to strength. We evolve to unhealth instead of health. If you've been in my office at all talking to me, you'll know one of my favorite sayings is that unhealthy people do not like healthy people. Unhealthy people do not like unhealthy people. But us healthy people tend to accommodate a lot, an awful lot of unhealth in, in the name of just siloing up. And so that's the second one. Third one, blame displacement. This one doesn't even need to be. We know what this is. We're more concerned about trying to find a place to put our blame than we are our own response to the challenges and the stimuli that's around us. We just look for a place to blame. That's, that's a symptom of anxiety. 
That's why we struggle with challenge so much. Uh, then the last one, the quick fix mentality. This is, again, what Tad talked about a couple of weeks ago. Anything to get us out of the pain, of the anxiety, of that feeling of being anxious. We just want a quick fix, and so we go to self-medicating and soothing behaviors that are not about personal transformation or change or dealing with struggle as a good thing. We just see struggle as a negative. And all of that results in this sort of failure of nerve is what Friedman calls it, failure of nerve in our leadership, parenting, organizational leadership, conflict, whatever it is, our anxiety prevents us from being healthy. We're so anxious about our kids' reactions and our losing a sense of family or losing our kids that we won't enforce the boundaries that they desperately need in their lives. That's the world that we live in. And when we just soak that in without, like Paul says, when we just fit in to the world around us without even thinking about it, it's just a fast track to anxiety and to just continuing in that mode on all things that we do on a day-to-day basis. The second thing is that we're unwilling to do, we're unwilling to do what it requires, what is required to live at peace. So we live in a chronically anxious colder where we're so- soaking it in, and then on the other side, we're unwilling to do the things that God calls us to do in order to feel or experience the peace that Jesus gives us. We're unwilling to pursue peace in a way, in the same way that we pursue everything else. Ironically, what's so interesting about it is, is that the way, the very way that we pursue peace is that we stop chasing after all the other stuff. We just sit. We, we have to learn how to stop and make stopping a practice. That's why the psalmist, the Psalm 4610 says, be still and know that I'm God. Another translation, cease striving and know that I am God. You want to experience peace, you have to cease striving. Jesus says, look, I'm not going to give it to you the way the world gives it to you. Quick fixes, shallow solutions. He's after a deep heart change for you and for me. You want a peace that surpasses understanding? He says, then follow me. Do the things that I did in the way that I did them, with the kind of people that I did them with. Come be with me. See, we want peace as a quick fix, as a gift, where it's just like, oh, thank you, God, peace. And sometimes that happens. But man, it's so much more about being in a posture where we can receive the gift that God has given us. We cannot chase all this other stuff and then expect living in a chronically anxious stream and then expect to work at a different pace. We just can't. In fact, maybe the most quoted passage about peace in the scriptures is this idea that we have a peace that surpasses understanding, that transcends understanding. Paul's directly addressing this idea, and he says, don't be anxious about anything, thanks, but in every situation, prayer and petition, thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, if you do this, then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Right before this, Paul says, like, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me, this idea of a different kingdom, a different way of being in the world. 
We love to quote this. We love to read this. We love to have it as a bumper sticker in our lives. But what's all around this passage is, I think, even more interesting and more instructive for us who want to experience the peace of Jesus. So we're just going to walk through some of what Paul is talking about as he leads up to this passage in Philippians 4. Starting in Philippians 3, verse 17, if you have your Bible, I would encourage you to take it out. Underline some words here because it's going to be really important. If you've got it on your phone, highlight some passages because this is really helpful stuff that Paul gives us here. So starting in the very beginning, he says, this is in verse 17, he says, join with others in doing what? Following my example, brothers and sisters. And then he says, and then, listen, you need to take note of those who live according to the pattern that we gave you. Follow my example. Take note of those who live according to the pattern that we gave you. See, there's a practice in this for us. Again, that's how we're talking about this whole Advent series, is that we have a light that is opposed to a darkness. But for us to experience that light and be lights in the world, we have to have practices in our life that build and foster a sense of hope and peace and joy and love. So the practice, follow my example, he says. Follow the pattern that we gave you. Hold that thought because we're going to get back to it. Second one is in verse 18 and 19. He says, for, I have, for as I have often told you and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. He's just saying, look, a lot of people are going to do this completely opposite of the way that Jesus told us. All of the humility, all that stuff is going to be out the window for them. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. Do you hear the, the, uh, the um, analysis here? Do you hear Paul is basically giving um, the followers around him, he's giving them a description of what is happening in the world around us. Their destiny is destruction, it says. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. And if we just continue to chase after things the same way that everybody else does, it will seem right until it leads to death until it leads us to the exact opposite of hope and peace and joy and all those things that we really want to experience in the Holy Spirit. It leads the other way. It says their God is their stomach. In other words, they're chasing quick fixes to all this stuff. Their God is their stomach. Their desires are just right at the surface. They're always chasing the latest thing. Medicating, self-medicating, soothing. Their God is their stomach and their glory is their shame. They are embracing a whole bunch of stuff, a bunch of activity that does not lead us closer to Jesus. I mean, this is like sitting in a doctor's office and the doctor giving you some news. It's going, here's what's going on with you. Pay attention to this. Because there's a prescription coming. He's going, look, you cannot let these things happen and then hope to experience the peace of God that surpasses understanding. And what we do is we live in all this other stuff and then we go, ah, you know, this whole faith thing doesn't really work. Where's God? And God's like, ah, come be with me, enjoy my time, sit, sit with me, pray, experience me. Follow this pattern that I gave you. It's not just the bad things, it's the earthly things that we tend to value, good things that we want and need and have in our life. But there's a danger in even those things when they become higher values for us than the very cross of Christ, than Jesus himself. Just think about how people with more stuff, they, they statistically tend to be 
less generous and more anxious because they're guarding and protecting their stuff that pulls our hearts away from eternal things. And that's just true. It destroys our peace when we let the things of this world become values for us. Now, here's where Paul turns the corner and he begins to become descriptive. He goes, look, you need to remember, all that stuff is going to be the world that you swim in, but here is your identity. You are citizens in heaven. This is where your life is based. You are citizens in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enabled him to bring everything under his control, not my control, his control, he will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in this way. Practice, practice, practice. Stand firm in this way, he says. See, anxiety, if anxiety comes from a loss of control, the reality is we're not in control anyway, but we know the one who is. So Paul makes a very distinct point about this. The power that enabled him to bring everything under his control, not ours. COVID has been an interesting thing for, for me as a pastor. You know, um, one of the things that was pulled away from us as, as leaders in the church, and I think in institutions in general, though, was all of our measuring sticks. We think about this. As a pastor, it's my job to foster community, to bring people together, to be together to experience life. And during COVID, that was like, don't do that. You can't do that. Don't get together. Don't the other part is worship. Can't do that. Go on mission. You can't do that. There was nothing that we could do as a church. And so we were trying to figure out ways, and I was trying to figure out ways to stay connected in a world that was telling us at the threat of death that you had to stay disconnected. And I didn't realize this at the time, but as we were walking through this stuff, I, I, it, just, it took any sense of control, not that I had control, but any sense of control and active solution making that I could be a part of, it took all of that away. And, and in my life, it manifested itself as just... I, I got a little bit more anxious as time went on. And I was just like trying to desperately find something to do to make this thing work, to help people stay connected, to do, to pastor, to shepherd, to teach, to lead, to any of that stuff. And I couldn't, at least not well. And so I had this sense of anxiety that kind of came up in me. And it wasn't a stronghold necessarily, but it was definitely a foothold in my life. I was shorter with my kids. I was reactive. I was constantly trying to do more and more and more. My weeks were getting longer and longer and longer, and I was just chasing after something. Or I would just be tempted to shut down and self-medicate and go for the quick fix of just zoning out to Instagram, TV, whatever it was. And in the middle of that season, again, it was probably not that long ago, honestly, early fall maybe, where Jesus just pulled me aside and was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're trying so hard. I appreciate you, but I don't really need you to build my kingdom, so relax. And he said, your job is to magnify me and to enjoy me. And in the middle of my anxiety, in the middle of trying to control the world, he was just saying, be still and just know that I'm God.
practice being still and knowing that I'm God. See, Paul says there's a pattern to this. There's a practice that has to come along. Remember, we're called to be light in the darkness. In the middle of all these strongholds of anxiety, there's a practice that we can have that demolishes those. And it's called silence, solitude, stillness. But you know what it requires of us? Time. It requires time. Maybe the commodity that we want to give up the least. It requires time. Jesus says at the very beginning, in the first part of this, he goes, let go of control. Let go of the illusion of control to the one who is in control. Trust God, he says, and also trust me. And then he goes on, he says this, practice these things. Practice rejoicing in the Lord. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Live at peace. The Lord is near. Remember that the Lord is near, the one who is in control. So we rejoice. He says, enjoy me. Just be beloved. Experience the blessings that I'm giving you. Be blessed. Rejoice. And then he says, and I want you to then go be with me. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about this stuff. I've got it. I've got you. In every situation that you come across, just pray to me. Talk to me. Be with me. Prayer, petition, thanksgiving. Tell me what you need. And then the peace of God will be with you. And then the last one, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent, praiseworthy, Think about that. Spend some time thinking about such things. That's where you spend your time. To do any of that, to do any of those things, whether it's to let go of control, to rejoice, to pray, to think and meditate, and to focus on being a citizen of heaven, to do any of that, we have to be still. We have to be still. Put that into practice because that pattern is the way of life that Paul invites us into. He goes on at the very thin, he says, look, whatever you've seen, whatever you've learned, whatever you've heard from me, put that into practice. Are you willing to practice peace? Are you willing to practice stillness? In the middle of a world that is going a thousand miles an hour, are you willing to take 15 minutes a day and just be still. You don't have to do a whole bunch of stuff. You don't have to be anything. You don't have to chase after Jesus. You just have to be with him. That is it. If you're feeling anxious this season, you will not experience the peace of God which surpasses understanding unless you are willing to be still. At least a little bit. And this is my invitation to us this morning. I think there's, you know, as I was going through this, I had a counselor of mine send me a list of things that, um, that were roads to rest, practices, and all of those were included, interestingly enough. But one of the ones that just gave me such a sense of freedom, says, you need to be still, you need to practice some silence, just get alone with your thoughts, some solitude where it's just you, some stillness to decompress from all the activity. And then there was one really helpful one. You need to experience some permission. Permission 
to be unproductive. Permission to be unproductive. So we have these cards that we're going to hand out as you're on your way out. And it's just the scripture verse on it with that whole thing. Be still and know that I'm God. But this is your permission slip from your pastor telling you to take 15 minutes a day and just be still. It is your permission slip to be unproductive in a world that is constantly telling you you have to be productive. We have to learn to practice being still. So make sure to grab one of those on your way out because this is the life that God has invited us into, is this idea of his peace being with us. Because the flip side of this, the last part of this, is that we cannot give what we don't possess. And if we are called to be light in the world, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. If we are called to be light in the darkness, then that darkness, we cannot let it in. We have to find time to let our peace be what drives us. His peace be what drives us, rather. To become a non-anxious presence in a chronically anxious world. So I'm going to pray for us. If you would stand with me. The band is going to come up and sing one more song before we head on out of here. But I want to challenge you to grab one of these permission slips. Permission to be unproductive. To just be still and know that he is God. To take that time so that we can then become non-anxious presences. The light of Jesus. The light of peace in the world around us. Let's pray. Father, I am... um, I am so guilty of chasing after a whole bunch of stuff. And so I just confess, I confess that sometimes my God is my stomach. And sometimes I'm chasing after things that don't lead me towards you. But that's not the point. God, the point is that you invite us to experience peace to just be with you, to enjoy you, to glorify you, to see you, to experience your non-anxious presence in our life. And then, Lord, to turn that around for us, to be able to give that which we possess because you've given it to us through your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we pray that you would make us the light of peace in the world around us. Help birth that peace in us. In Jesus' name.